Yeah. I think it was a kind of menace, something. Uh, I'm joking. I'd like you to open your Bible, Psalm 133. I would like to pray. Lord, you know how I am now and how I, I want to be used and that you can, you can use anything, Lord, so use me. Take my voice and my thoughts and let me talk about your, your word in such a way that what you showed me in this passage can go and found a place in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have here, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down the bird, and uh, we're talking about bird these days, even Aaron's bird, bird? Beard. Beard, not, not the, the bird, beard, coming down the, the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of, dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord command the blessings, life forever. So, what's the thing here? You are in the last point of the songs of ascents or songs of steps or pilg pilgrim songs. What, what that means, that means that uh, each family from the Israelites, they were singing that psalms from Psalm uh, 115, uh, 120 to this psalm here. They were singing, they were uh, learning those songs until the day they, they, come, they get to Jerusalem. In other words, very, being very simple, preparation for worship. They're going to the temple. They're going to worship. They're going to, they're preparing the hearts to be in the temple together with their families. And if you look all through all these psalms, from the 120 until the psalm, you're going to see three words being repeated. Those words are behold or see. The second word we can say is uh, remember. And the third word is declare. So when you talk about those three uh, words, we're saying behold what the Lord is doing. Remember what the Lord did and declare the kind of God our Lord is. Declare. Tell about His marvelous. Tell about His deeds. Tell about what He does. That's what's happened. And one thing that you can see here is that this psalm, He's a very powerful, 
particular because he is a very, very small psalm. Almost all of them are uh, small psalms. What it means that they are easy to learn. One point about being concise or small in the Bible and in any uh, uh, teaching process is you must be as simple as possible. There is a songwriter, he made a song because he has a kind of two-year-old boy and he was thinking about how I can sing with my boy and he wrote a song and the song was Hallelujah, 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 your love makes me sing. Just this. And do you know what songs uh, Benjamin began to learn? That songs. Hallelujah. Not uh, the, 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 the greatest, not the, the, the one, uh, uh, the, the, the longest but the easiest to remember. Because what we learn is what we need to remember. And one of the points about learn and remember to declare is that when you talk about teaching, we talk a lot about, and we, let's go to, the gra to grammar, do you know, do you remember school when you studied something that is like, it's called, I think it's called in English, figures of speech? Yeah. Say, no, not now, please. What's the most common figure of speech that you ever heard of? A metaphor. But we have one, I don't know here in US, but usually in Brazil, is that the, the figure of speech that the, the, the mothers like the most. It's a hyperbole. Yeah, hyperbole? Hyperbole. If you have, there's a mother in Brazil, there's a hyperbole. It's like, I called you a hundred times. You, the, 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 the mothers don't do that in US, yeah? Just in Brazil. I talked with your father a thousand times. I said, no, you just say twice. <laughs> Don't do that. It's not safe. Uh, so uh, what is a hyperbole? Hyperbole. What is a, what is a hyperbole? What that means? What, why does figure of speech exists. It exists to print in our head a, a surreal image that gonna make us never forget. Like when, I don't know about today, but used in Brazil, mums loves one thing called sandals as a way to correct some young boy or girl yeah. So that's, I had one day a very ecological conversation with uh, my daughter when she was very, very young. I said, I can spank you. And she said, but you can't. You said that you're my friend. <laughs> and you said to me that friends don't hurt friends. 
So, very logical. I said, no, 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 no. That not, that not works here. But <laughs> when you talk about hyperboles, we're talking about a surreal image, very strong, that is used to never forget. And you have three images here. The, the, our text began with an image of unity. And this image of unity, it's a kind of a level upon level, because it's like this. Oh, how good. Behold, one of the on our basic words. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers, unit, dwell, unit, together, unit, in unit. And one friend of ours, he said that is sometimes at church and sometimes student family, we act like potatoes. Yeah, there's a difference. Like, I can go to the supermarket to go to, to, go to the grocery store and buy some potatoes. There we, there, uh, I'm going to buy them in a bag. That's it? Here? Yeah. What's the thing about that potatoes? You're, you do not want that that way. You want then cook it and smashed. Sometimes people think that goes to church is like to be in a bag of potatoes. Everybody's in the same bag, but everybody's alone. But here saying, brothers dwell together in unity. I could put a very, very surreal question here is what kind of potato you are? <laughs> I don't know if it's bad in English, but the idea is you're just separated from the body. You're just in going. The, the, the church here is just a bag with potatoes in. Or are we, we are kind of willing ourselves to be united in such a way that you, if someone looked from outside, can say that we are one. We are, we are all just the same. That's the image. Throw the brothers dwell together in unity. So the first image is an image of unity. Unity is the core of a family. One of the most strange things, I can tell you, I saw in the 20 years that I've been working with Rich, is some people that has come from another church to not go to the church that this, his family or her family is because they have problems inside, inside of their own family, so they're going to another church. And I said, that, that's a real problem. Because if you have a problem with someone, especially from your own family, you need to fix it. Why you need to fix it? Because the point of this, the psalm here, the point of what I'm talking about is you need to fix it because you are preparing yourself to worship. And I don't know any other verse of the Bible that says something like this verse here that says, when you are going to the temple and remember that someone have a, something against you, leave your offering. Put aside your offering. Go back. Restore the relation. 
after that, go back and worship. Because unity is preparation for worship. To be together. The dishes need to be clean. Somehow we're going to dish later. Uh, but it's this unity is the core of a family. Do you know what a family is? I can tell you family is a resting place. Everybody here, and I, I, I'm included that, everybody here that has to, to work far from home, did you, did, you, did you guys have to do that? Two, three, four, six hours far from home. Do you know how it is to call back family? Do you know how it is to be on the phone and say, I want to go home? And in that moment, you know what a family is. Family is a resting place. If church is a family, church is a resting place. Church is the place when you can call someone and say, I'm tired, I want to go home. I need to go before the Lord. So unity is the core of a family. Unity is the foundation of peace. Because here the, 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 the word is dwell. And the same word that says that when we are together in unity, the Lord dwells in the midst of his people. So unity is the core of a family. Unity is foundation of peace. Because when the Lord is, there is peace. And why, why there is peace? Because he is the king. And when the king declares, he declares peace. That, that is the basic thing. When some people here maybe like history, uh, and we know that the, 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 the position of the king was especially to keep peace. When the king died, the problem is everybody was afraid because we became another war until has another king. That's why the Bible gives to us a very strong statement that says his kingdom is eternal. There will not be another king or there's not going to be another fight. Nothing. So unity is foundation of peace and unity is the image of victory. Some guys here like to shoot, like to sports, and like some of them may, may like the history of wars. In the same way, we use an image of potato, potato mashed to think about unity. Some of you remember when we read some books about war that the, the greatest word, the greatest expression about a great army is they fight as one. They were, they were moving as one man. So, unity is the image of victory. That's why when Jesus talks about being defeated, he says, no kingdom can exist, can be sustained with war. That's why unity is the image. The second image here is the image of gladness. Because it talks about oil. And oil is perfume in the Bible. So unity is a precious perfume. So precious, so precious that not used it at home. It was used upon the high priest's head. 
and uh, was used to not upon the head only, but uh, on that part here of the clothes. So unity reaches the head and the members. And if you know the Bible, if you know the, the, the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, uh, Jesus is for Jesus one psalm that says, you put a gladness. And that in, in the, the book of Hebrews, in the middle of the worship service, when Jesus is leading us in worship because he is here to the Father. And the, the person that is spiritual here, spiritually here, it is more with more joy and glad is Jesus. That's why we can receive this joy from here, from him. So unity is a precious person. Unity reaches the head and the members, the gladness, and brings the ambience of worship. I'm going to make a last link about this when I'm going to finish. I'd like to see something with me. What is the point of a good perfume? People here that likes perfume, what's the point of a very good perfume? It smells good. And one other thing, what happens when someone puts a real, real good perfume? It takes all over the house. If it is that special perfume that your wife uses, mmm, good. She has one like this. Mmm, hey, where are you? <laughs> it's gladness, perfume, special, precious, bring gladness, gladness. That's why, and spoiler, a lady broke precious perfume on Jesus. The Gospel of John said the whole house is filled with perfume. So, it's gladness, and it's a gladness that takes the house. You, can, you want to see a church that worships, you can see a church that is glad, that there's joy, that is, looks to God and say, I am amazed what kind of God we have. He makes miracles. Our God is amazing. He is one, He is full of wonder. And the last thing is, we have a third image that is an image of glory. The mountain, I made some research, and the mountain, uh, Hermon, is 130 miles from the mountains of Zion. It's, it's a big deal. It's not a, it's so, it's against a hyperbole. How can that go? Because this point in the image of glory, the Bible says that the glory of God will be around the earth as the oceans cover, as the waters covers the ocean. And unity so points a new life. Because new life is nothing more than lives that overflows. Do you know why you have a new life? You have a new life because someone overflow the new life that he had upon your life. And why you share the gospel and someone 
receives Jesus in the heart because when you share the gospel, you are overflowing life upon someone else's life. And we know what happens when the church does that. The world is overflowed with the grace of God, with the glory of God. I have a friend that he is a pastor, Wellington, his name. He was alcoholic. He was a kind of guy that was, you could find him completely drunk near the bar, seated. There's his daughters were ashamed of him because he was just seated, drunk the whole time. And one day, he got saved. That was one of the most beautiful days, I can tell you, because it was like this. The day he, he got saved, the first thing he, said, he did was go to the bar and almost grab the hand of his best friend and preach the gospel to his best friend. Say, I cannot be see my life being changed and not see your life being changed. And we baptized it both in the same day. We made their marriage at morning and their baptism with the wives in the evening. That was a huge, amazing day in my church in Brazil. So unity points to a new life Unity points to an overflowing life. That's why A.W. Tozer said that this psalm talks about revival. And revival is overflowing. And unity points to eternal life. Why? Let me tell you in, about this and finish because it's going to be very simple today. When you have a new life, there's life is overflowing. You know that. We saw that. But we see that the New Testament very clear some results of this. There was this, this woman, and I want to talk, before to talk about her, I want to, to talk about one point that sometimes we forget. There was this lady. Her name is Esther Longman. He was walking in Sao Paulo, the biggest city in my country. And he passed it through, passed it in front of a cemetery. Cemetery. It's not a graveyard, but with the big uh, uh, concrete and marble parts. And it was a beautiful cemetery. Cemetery. Beautiful one. And she was amazed. What people spent so much on those graveyards? And she discovered that the name of this cemetery was the Polacas. Polakas Cemetery was a cemetery for Jew, uh, Jewish prostitutes. And she began to make the research. As a historian, she began to make the research. And she discovered like this, that some guys, some traffic people in Latin America, in the beginning of the century, 20th century, they went to Europe. And they had liked to seduce some girls. And this girl uh, flee from home with these guys. 
when she did something like that, her father puts a coffin in the middle of the house, put her name on, and buried the coffee empty. Because she was dead to the family. Completely. If one day she went back home and said, who are you? I'm your daughter. No, my daughter is buried in that cemetery. That's why they seduced her. Because no way back. At the ship, she discovered that was not for marriage that she was taken. She was taken for prostitution in Latin America, Brazil, Argentina. And when they came here, they spent most of their lives doing something, working on prostitution, but trying to raise some money to pay someone to marry. Because when got married, changed the name. And she could be, again, okay with society. Because she could not go back to the Jewish community. And she was not a Christian, so she was not buried in the Christian cemetery. And she could not be buried on the Jewish cemetery. So these prostitutes bought a piece of land to be their cemetery. But it was like this. If she could find a husband and pay, she could be uh, kind of a back to society. But if not, she used all the money to buy the best graveyard, grave, a marble she could to be remembered. Because nobody would remember her anymore. So when Jesus comes to a house, there was this lady, and one of the gospels says, a sinner. And it was Simon the leper, that all, another one got there was an outcast, because she, he was leper. And comes this lady, and he was healed. And comes this lady, and his lady began to wash the feet of Jesus with his own tears. And open a precious perfume over his head. Well, as you don't know, this perfume was her savings. Was her whole life savings. She was given to Jesus her future. She knew that we should be completely forgotten when she did that. No husband. Who wants to marry a broken prostitute? No money. No husband. No good graveyard. Nothing. She broke. That's why it's so precious when Jesus said, Do you know, in every place this gospel will be preached this woman will be remembered. And what means to us? It means to us that if you decide to give yourself to Jesus, you will not be forgotten. God 
brings us to his glory, eternal life with him. Perfume, dew, new life, gladness, and to be with the Lord forever and ever. That's what we call it. We are called it to, to receive from him. I would like you to think about it because it's like this. Maybe some of you just say, worship is singing. No, worship is not singing. Worship is overflowing. When our hearts are so full of amazement that what God has done that we cannot contain ourselves. We should be forgotten. We should be put in hell. But we have a God that decided to call us to one thing that not even the greatest man in the world could uh, achieve that is eternal life. Just to remember, glory always means eternal life. If you like ancient literature, Achilles, Achilles, Achilles was eager for glory. That must that means to be remembered. And I tell you that uh, the Bible always put things upside down, that is, if you gave your life, you're going to receive eternal life. Don't fight for the glory like the world, like Achilles, like everybody fights. Be known, be respect, throw it all and go to Jesus, and you're going to have another kind of eternal life. And that's, that's the real one. That's the real deal. God bless us. Amen. Well, I can tell you I'll never read that Mark passage again. Now we see why Jesus said, wherever this gospel is preached, this story is going to be told as a memorial for this woman. So Maltus is going to perform his final act of leadership here in leading our worship team to close us with a closing song. We're going